0: What a faithful Father and loving Lord that we have that he will and does hold us fast to him. He is ever faithful. been looking at the Lord of the Church and his message to the seven churches of the book of Revelation. <clears throat> Last week we looked at the the section where Jesus says. I know your works and I've got some good news for you. We we identified 12 things that Jesus said to those seven churches which were positive things. Good for us to know because if we want to be a a church that pleases Jesus, we can take our cue from those 12 things. Those are the kinds of things that Jesus is looking for and that we should want to emulate ourselves. Now today we look the other side of the story because Jesus says, I know your works and I've got some good news for you. And some bad news. And so today we're going to start looking at the bad news. We'll actually uh, divide this into two different messages because there's uh, quite a bit here and because we have communion today. uh, We'll just look at the first couple of these. Um, As we looked at the good news from last week, there there was nothing good said about the church at Laodicea. And today as we look at the seven churches, there's nothing bad said about the church of Smyrna or the church of Philadelphia. But for five of the seven churches, Jesus puts his finger on and exposes areas of, of weakness, areas which uh, need to be made right, repented of, and um, changed. And so in spite of the good things that might be said about them, they were weighed in the balances and found lacking. And our objective is not just to look at, well, what was wrong with those churches? But to use it to ask ourselves, is any of this true of us? Just like last week, we wanted to see what the good things were and ask, could Jesus say that about us too? This week, we want to look at the bad things and say, well, would Jesus say any of this of us too? We, we need to, to know this and be open and honest about it as we evaluate these things each of the letters ends with uh, the same kind of statement. If you look at chapter 2, verse 7, for instance, it says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And verse 11, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so on through the seven churches. For each one, he says, He who has an ear, that means not just a physical ear, but a spiritual ear. That is, you are spiritually Attuned to what he is saying, you're spiritually alive and listening. He who has that kind of an ear, then let him hear. Pay attention to what Jesus is saying to all the churches. That includes us. And if I could summarize the what Jesus is saying to these seven churches about the the bad news, is that the challenge is to remain to remain faithful and to reject falsehood. So the first thing he talks about is in verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4, to the church at Ephesus he writes this. <clears throat> after after saying the good things, there, there were a number of good things about him, but after saying those things in verse 4 he says, nevertheless I have this against you that you have left your first love. To me in some ways this is kind of a shocking thing given this is the church at Ephesus that He is saying this to you. You have left your first love. And last week we saw how remarkably faithful this church was in the areas of doctrine. Remember, we said their motto could be to to know the truth, to love the truth, to follow the truth and to guard the truth. They were all about the truth and guarding doctrine, but somehow they had let go of love in all of this. And what is more remarkable is their history. If you think about who pastored this church at Ephesus, what a string of pastors they had. They had the uh, Apostle Paul. Then next they had Apollos. Then they had Timothy. Remember Paul wrote a couple letters to Timothy while he was pastoring the church in Ephesus. And then finally, in the latter years, they had the Apostle John as their pastor. So they had some pretty good pastors there. And John is the last one. He's now on the island of Patmos, where he's been exiled. And Jesus is telling him to write to these seven churches. And the first church he tells John to write to is the very church he was the pastor of, Ephesus. And to tell them, you have left your first love. Paul, their founding pastor, wrote back to them in Ephesians one fifteen. After I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you all. And a number of times throughout the book of Ephesians, he talks about their love in in a very positive way. So what went wrong? It was a church that had great leadership, uh, was a remarkable church, a great testimony. But now we are 40 years past the founding. We're... Four decades later, and Jesus says to write to them, you have left your first love. So what happened? And I think this is what we we need to focus on this morning as how could that kind of thing happen to them? And how can we guard against that thing happening to us? And remember also that we're not looking simply at this church, but our church as if what if Jesus wrote a letter to us, but also To us as individuals? Is it possible for this to be true of us individually as believers? So, you've left your first love. First of all, it is possible to be right in what we believe, but wrong in what we love. It's possible to be right in what we believe, but wrong in what we love. In other words, we could be very orthodox in our doctrine, and yet miss love. We can have full heads and empty hearts. It's like the Pharisees in Jesus' day. They knew the law and they kept the law. In fact, they made up laws to have more of them. And they were very strict concerning the law, but they had no love, they had no compassion. And even when Jesus wanted to, for instance, heal someone on the Sabbath day, they were against it. It was not according to the law, and so they had what they thought was doctrine orthodoxy, without the love. It's interesting that there's a verse in Ephesians chapter four, verse fifteen, the letter to whom, uh, the letter written to this particular church. In fact, Ephesians four, fifteen, Paul tells them to speak the truth. In love, that you might grow up together in Him and all things. So speaking the truth in love. And notice that it is both things. It's not one or the other. It's not truth or love, but both of them together in full measure. um, Truth and love. Secondly, it is possible... Possible for us to love good things, but not love the best things. Possible for us to love good things, but not love the best things. For instance, in a, a church, someone could attend the church and say, I uh, I love this church, I, I love the fellowship in this church, I I love the music, I love the children's programs, I love this or that about the church, but not love the Lord of the church, which is the main thing. We can love good things without loving the best things. Francis Schaeffer famously wrote that the good is the eternal enemy of the best. Because too often we settle just for the good things. And yes, this is good to do, that's good, and this is good. But we never get to the best things, the highest things, the most noble things. Those are harder. Possible for us to love good things without loving the best things. Third, it's possible to pass on the wrong value system to our children. What happened at Ephesus? They began so well and now 40 years later something went wrong. They somehow failed to pass on to their children the same value system they had of truth and love. And all that the children got was the truth component of it without the love for some reason. It reminds me of one of the saddest verses in the Bible to me is in, found in the book of Judges, chapter 2. Now you, you remember, Judges comes just after the book of Joshua. Joshua is a book of victory. They're entering into the land and they're conquering the land and everything is great and God's uh, fighting one battle after another for them. Great things happen. But then when you get to the Judges, uh, Judges two nine says that uh, Joshua and Caleb and the other of that generation passed away. Verse 10 says that the next generation did not know the Lord or follow His ways and they did evil in the sight of the Lord. How could that happen? I mean, they just come through this great time of victory and the next generation did not know the Lord. They forgot to pass that on. Truth. And love. It's like in disciplining your children. Now, your children are probably different than mine, but my children were a handful. They they require discipline daily. Sometimes, and it was a challenge for us as uh, parents to know how to discipline them, because we knew we want we want to discipline them in truth and love and finding that right balance to make sure they knew the rules they knew the truth but to know that they knew that we love them ever bit as much as we want to enforce the truth because what happens in discipline if if you only emphasize the truth or the rules or whatever and not the love you're going to end up with some pretty angry children upset confused and angry But if you don't emphasize the truth and you just emphasize love, you're going to end up with spoiled brats. And so even in discipline, we need to have truth and love in full measure. The same thing is true in a church. It's not one or the other. We have to emphasize both sides. We need truth and love and both in full measure. So what are you passing on? To your children, what are what are we as a church passing on to the children that we are raising up in this church? Next week, we have uh, uh, as part of our uh, celebration, we're going to have a, a parent-child dedication time, and we as a church are going to to confirm our commitment to raise up children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, because this is important that we teach these things and keep teaching them and showing them truth and love in full measure. Number four, it is not possible to truly know God and not love Him. It's just not possible. If you really know God, it's impossible to not love Him. And in fact, uh, 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. And he who does not love does not know God. For God is love. And if we really know God, we will love Him. And finally, it is possible for something else to become our first love. It's possible for someone Something else to slip in there and suddenly perhaps become our first love. Now first here, the word first is uh, protoss. It doesn't mean first in time. Like my first love was Susan in the second grade. Susan was a like a head taller than I was. A little bit rotund. But man, could she play kickball. I always wanted to have her on my team I love Susan. She was great. My first love. But not that. Not in time. Not in sequence. But first, protos means highest, best, in first place. So you could think of this. You have left your first love as you have left your highest love. And what is to be our highest love? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, with everything that is in you, you shall love the Lord your God. That's our first, highest, greatest, bestest love. Somehow they had left it. The second problem comes with the the church of Pergamos. We find that in verses 14 and 15 if you turn there. We read concerning them starting in verse 14. But I have a few things against you. Because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel. To eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Which thing I hate. So they allowed impure doctrine. I have to note, first of all, that having love does not negate the need for pure doctrine. If you think about it, these two churches were mirror images or opposites of each other. In Ephesus, they really had a grasp on doctrine, but they let loose of love. And in the church of Pergamos, they had love, but they let loose of doctrine. And so... Just a reminder to us, I think it's interesting the way the Lord puts this together. Those are opposite things to show us what happens if you're out of balance either way. And again, the need for both truth and love. There's a great uh, group of theologians called the Beatles who wrote a song called, All You Need Is Love. Well, that's wrong Theology. We need more than love. We have to have love, but we have to have truth along with it. Then something happened here that they didn't. And love without truth is directionless. Love without truth will lead to danger because you will end up loving the wrong things. You'd be like a ship without a rudder and just tossed about and it's a dangerous thing. So... The Lord of the church gives two examples. An Old Testament example of Balaam and the New Testament example of the Nicolaitans. Now, so let's think about the Old Testament example of Balaam. This is found in Numbers 22 through 25. A fascinating story. This is where Israel is, has come out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They're getting ready to enter into the promised land. And the king of Moab Moab. Balak has seen how they've conquered one king after another on their way to the promised land, he knows he cannot defeat them on the field of battle. Israel has defeated mightier kings and nations than he. And so he hires a prophet. He knows that their strength is spiritual. And so he hires a prophet to attack them spiritually. A prophet for hire named Balaam. Balaam at first refuses to come, but after the ante is up enough, he, he comes and on his way, he's riding his donkey toward Moab to meet with Balak. And his, his donkey just stops in the road. And so he starts beating the donkey and the donkey turns to, to the side and gets between, uh, a wall and a hard place. And, and he tries to make him go and he crushes his foot. And, th- and then he beats him again trying to get him to go and the donkey just sits down right there in the path, just stops. What Balak doesn't know is the donkey has seen the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn, his sword drawn to, standing in the way, and the donkey sees it, and that's why he's not moving forward. And so um, Balak is beating his donkey. His donkey starts talking to him, "Hey, why are you beating me? Haven't I always obeyed you when you?" and so forth. And and surprisingly, Balaam starts talking back to his donkey. Yeah, but this time you didn't. And, and so they have this conversation, which is kind of strange. But then finally God opens the eyes of Balaam, so he sees the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord tells him, You can go to Balak, but you can only say the words I put in your mouth. So, By the way, this is a, um, a good reminder to me as a as a preacher that here God spoke through a donkey. And so if he can speak through a donkey. If that's all he needs. I'm not very much. He doesn't need me. He can even speak through any anything if he wants to. So Balaam finally goes. And uh, King uh, Balak takes him up into a high mountain. To look down on the multitudes of the Israelites. Filling the valley. He says I want you to curse him. So he says build seven altars. Offer seven sacrifices. And at the end, Balaam goes to give his curse. And he says, blessing, 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 blessing on Israel. Blessing on Israel. And Balak says, what are you doing? I didn't hire you to do that. I hired you to curse him. Let's try it again. So he took him to another place where he couldn't see all of Israel. Just a kind of a crack in the crevice of the mountain. And he says, now build seven more altars, seven more sacrifices. And now curse them for me this time. So Balaam says, "Okay, we're going to curse him. Blessing, 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 blessing on Israel, blessing on Israel. What are you doing?" And so, third time he does it again. And finally, Balaam gives up. Just don't say anything else. Just quit talking. Don't bless them anymore. Balaam could not curse Israel. God would not allow him. But here's what Balaam did. He told Balak, "Send your women down among them." and have them offer sacrifices with your women and enter into their orgies with their women. And that's what happened. And so many men of Israel participated in this and and a great plague came upon Israel. And in fact, in one day, 24,000 people died. And so here he's saying, You have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. There are those there, not not necessarily who held the doctrine of Balaam, but to that kind of thinking had entered into the church with some people. And then verse 15, thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now the doctrine of the Nicolaitans came from a certain man named Nicholas, back in the early church. So not Saint Nicholas, the different Nicholas. This is a in fact. This Nicholas was one of the seven deacons. Remember in Acts chapter six, uh, they were told to pick out seven men from among you who whom we may see over this, and and they were deacons. One of them was Nicholas. Somehow along the road, Nicholas got off the path. And then his followers took his wrong teaching and spread it even further, more astray. And what they taught was, was this, that we are spiritual beings. If we're saved, we're spiritual beings, and all that matters is our spirit because we're spiritual beings. That means our bodies don't make any difference. Our bodies can do whatever they want to do, or we can do whatever we want with our bodies, and doesn't, in fact, Impact our spirit. They're two separate things. Spirit, body. And so they allowed themselves to participate in all kinds of things including pagan feasts and revelries and orgies and eating meat sacrificed to idols. That sort of thing. Because they said, it's okay, you're doing it in your body, not in your spirit. And so that's the, the common thread between these two. Just like Balaam uh Uh, Put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Same kind of thing the Nicolaitans were teaching. And he says, that's wrong. When you lower the standards of your God, you lower the standards of your life. There's always a problem when we mix truth with error. It's like if you had a beautiful chocolate cake. And I love chocolate, so that's the first thing that comes to my mind. So you have this beautiful chocolate cake with chocolate icing. and But the person who made it also put some arsenic in it. Not much, you know, just a handful of arsenic in it. There's not the majority of what's there, but arsenic in it. How much of that cake would you want to eat? I would probably stop at two pieces. <laughs> but the, the problem is, if you mix truth and error, even just a little bit of error becomes like the leaven that leavens the whole lump and destroys everything. And they were allowing this in there. And and so, you see, it wasn't all of them. It says, I have a few things against you because you have there though You have some who hold to these doctrines. And think about this church of Pergamos was a church that did not give in to severe persecution. In fact, look at verse 13. It says, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. They were faithful even to the point of death and persecution, and yet they allowed this. What Satan cannot accomplish through intimidation and persecution, he will seek to accomplish through deception and lies. What what he can't do from outward Attack, He will do from an inward attack. And allowing impure doctrine implicates us as well. Jesus does not just hold the people who, who have the impure doctrine accountable, but all of them. He says, "You you have there, you have allowed this there. These people who have this wrong doctrine, you are accountable to it. And he says in verse 16, repent of it. And so we need to guard against false doctrine entering into the church. And allowing ourselves or others in our congregation to go that way. We need to hold each other accountable to the truth of God's Word. Holding the truth in love. So how about you today? Is the foreign God that you worship the one that you worship today? Yes, that again. Is the foreign God you worship the God you are worshiping today? That is, do the things that you do during the week, the things you allow into your life, do your priorities, the things you participate in, the decisions you make, do those things make the God you worship on Sunday seem foreign to you? Or is He truly the Lord of all your life, every day? We're going to celebrate communion here in just a moment. And in that communion passage in uh, 1 Corinthians 11. There's uh, some verses that say, 1 Corinthians 11.27 says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So this is a time for us to examine ourselves. We want to partake with clean hearts and consciences of the bread and the cup. So let us examine ourselves Is there something in your life you need to get right with the Lord before you partake of this? Or maybe that you need to get right with someone else. Judge yourself. Examine yourself. And then let us eat of the bread and the cup. I want to give us just a moment of silent prayer and reflection on this. You just talk to God just between you and Him if there's anything that you need to clear up. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You are a God who forgives. We thank You for the, the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. We thank You for Your patience with us. Thank You for Your Holy Spirit who brings to our our mind, our conscience, a reminder of the things which we have done which are displeasing to You. Lord, we... Beg Your forgiveness and thank You for Your promise to forgive those who confess their sin before You. In Jesus' name, Amen.